from my mom always having a story to tell at the dinner table all mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. to everybody having at a Sicilian dinner table, nobody just asks you to pass the salt. They <laughs> shout you to pass the salt. Yeah. And then I just remembered how huge storytelling in of itself is part of our culture. My dad owned a tobacco shop. And when I hung out with him there, it was just sort of fascinating to see. It was just guys coming in to buy cigarettes. But I was always sort of fascinated by just the conversations that he had. Oh, You're listening to The Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 69, The Undefinable Spirit, celebrating the spoken word with Valentino Asenza. Welcome to the Sill Podcast and another edition of The Undefinable Spirit. Valentino Asensa has been a published poet and spoken word performer based in Toronto for over two decades. He was the organizer of Cryptic Chatter, a poetry series in East Toronto, and is currently on the board of directors for the Art Bar Poetry Series, Canada's longest-running weekly poetry-only series. He's published four chapbooks of his poetry. He was a member of the Toronto Poetry Slam team in 2009 and 2010, representing the city at the Canadian Festival of Spoken Word in Victoria and at the National Poetry Slam in Minneapolis. Since January of 2015, Valentino has been a co-producer and co-host of the program Howl on CIUT 89.5 FM, Tuesday nights from 10 p.m. to 11 p.m., a program that examines writing and the writing process through interviews with authors, poets, screenwriters, filmmakers, and songwriters. Valentino has interviewed such bright literary lights as George Eliot Clark, Anne Michaels, Nino Ricci, Sukhian Lee, and da 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 Margaret Atwood. Welcome to the podcast, Valentino. Thanks so much for having me. Very much appreciate it. <laughs> what a great resume. Now listen, I also know from your Facebook uploads, Val, that you're at least two other things. An inveterate walker, you walk pretty much every day, and you regularly report on your experiences riding the TTC, which is a lot of fun, and we'll get to that later as well. You wear many hats. Yeah. You wear many hats. I know that. But let's start with you as a spoken word poet. You've been doing this for more than 20 years now. What made you jump into the world of spoken word? It was really weird. It was initially a crush that I had on a bartender. <laughs> um, I, quite honestly, I was with the on-cue players in the beaches, in a play called Lady Windermere's Fan. And I always wrote poetry, so I'd always have a book that I scribbled in. But there was a bar there called Sirens, and there was this redheaded girl called Sarah that I'd always go in. And I wouldn't even really drink. I'd just go in there and I'd sit at a table and write, trying (laughs) to get her to notice me. And I guess one day she obliged me. and She goes, hey, Val, can I read what you're writing? And I showed her. And then she said, you know what? This is pretty good, actually. You should go down Queen Street to this place called Fitzgerald's. They have open mics there. And I'm like, what's it up? What do you mean? What's it up for Mike? What? I read poetry like the people. <laughs> and she said, yeah, yeah. So I remember I went there and I kind of dug what that was about. 
And because it was happening every week, I kind of challenged myself to write a new poem for every week that I was there. And um, eventually, the weird irony about that is that that series moved to Sirens. And it was a huge community that was there. And that's where I met a number of people that would have tremendous influence over my life. Mm. One of which was Norman Christofoli, who first published me in his magazine called Labor of Love. Mm. And, um, and then I went to theater school and I tried to be an actor. But I also noticed that there was this thing where you could actually perform your poetry. And I sort of tried to amalgamate the two where I was writing my own sort of thing, being as animated as I could, mm-hmm. you know, with my mm-hmm. own material. And I guess that kind of just stuck. And I, I came back to Toronto. That was sort of like a playground for that kind of stuff. And I just kept doing it. People seemed to respond to it. The other thing, too, was just being part of a community. And it was about writing. And it was it's always about writing and sharing my art. But what kept me here was just the people that I was working with uh-huh. as part of the Toronto poetry community. So, Valentino, when you're on a stage uh, at a poetry slam, uh, sharing your very personal and heartfelt words with an audience of hundreds of people, what's that experience like? It can be intimidating in some instances. You know, when you're at a slam, sometimes it can be a a little bit demoralizing (laughs) because you'll be performing your poems and then someone holds up, you know, like a (laughs) 6.5. <laughs> but I, I think the most rewarding part of it, whether you're at a slam or wherever, is when it resonates with somebody. Like when you step off that stage and then somebody comes up to you and says, what you wrote really spoke to me. Or, uh, Harry mentioned about me riding the streetcar. There was a poem that I wrote just about riding the streetcar. And everybody's like, oh, my God. It's like, I've been on that streetcar that you're talking about. <laughs> um when, when someone's even just inspired enough or poems resonated enough just for someone to come up to you and give you a hug, which has happened mm. on more than one occasion. For me, that's the main reason why I do it is it resonates with people. That's beautiful. I hope it doesn't wear off. I hope it continues. Well, speaking of wearing off, I mean, the spoken word poetry scene has really been on a wave over the last at least 10 years here in North America, especially. Do you see it reaching a saturation point at some point? You know, a few years ago, my wife and I went to Ottawa to the Nationals, and we went to the finals in this church, and it held about 500 people, and it was filled to the rafters. It was an incredible experience. I mean, has it reached a saturation point, or can it grow even more? Uh, I think in terms of evangelizing, I hate using the word evangelizing, but okay, maybe that is what it is. In terms of evangelizing younger poets to the art form, I think that that'll be a constant, and I see it doing more of that. In terms of its own governance, I'm not really sure. I know that there are issues with the bodies that govern SLAM in the U.S. and SLAM in Canada. Over the last few years, there have been sort of governance issues over how committees, I guess, format their slams, not just in terms of how the game proceeds, but in terms also of content, too. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's anything to do with saturation, but I know that there are committees like the Canadian Festival of Spoken Word and the National Poetry Slam, the Spoken Word Canada, who governs Canadian Festival of Spoken Word and Poetry Slam, Inc., that governs the the American uh, Poetry Slam, there are tweaks going on within their committees because there has been discord. So I think things are changing there. 
Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know really if it's oversaturation though. I think it's a very new art form. It was started in 1982 by, by Mark Smith. And uh, ironically enough, I think he isn't showing up to the slams anymore because of some offensive things that he had said a few years ago. Hmm. So I think they're trying to basically adjust things to our current time that people feel safe enough to share their work while at the same time maintaining that it is for the masses. So, I mean, it is a very hard balancing act in that regard. Okay, You're still kind of feeling your way through it. Yes, exactly. You were born into an Italian family and your parents uh, separated when you were quite young. How did that play out in terms of your frequent visits to Italy, visiting family and friends? And how does your Italian heritage play into the way you think about and write your poetry? I never thought that it would have as much of an effect as it did, but it certainly has played a huge role. I didn't think about it while I was going through it. I did that from when I was five years old until when I was 20 years old, where I would spend summers in Sicily and then come back here for the school season. And I just thought it was life, right? For me, it was just yeah, life, yeah. right? Everybody else had their had their mom and dad here all year round. I went to go see my dad in Sicily in the summer, and then I stayed here with my mom in the fall and winter and spring. And I thought it was just a very normal kind of thing. But I didn't really think about it until somebody said to me, why don't you write more about your Italian heritage? Because up to a certain point in my mid-20s, I really didn't write that much about it. I didn't. Mm-hmm. If anything, I was, I was, you know, my dad had passed away when I was 20, and there were a lot of Sicilian traditions that I really hated surrounding his death about how I was supposed to accept it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, I, and I remember I was, I, and I was, I was angry, right? I was a 20 year old angry kid. So I didn't really like, I didn't want to hear anything about it. But when I was nearing my 30s, some really interesting things happened in terms of sort of getting me to quiet down a little and look at things from a different perspective. And I just really realized the value of it. from my mom always having a story to tell at the dinner table all mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. to everybody having at a Sicilian dinner table, nobody just asks you to pass the salt. They <laughs> shout you to pass the salt. Yeah. And then I just remembered how huge storytelling in of itself is part of our culture. My dad owned a tobacco shop. And when I hung out with him there, it was just sort of fascinating to see. It was just guys coming in to buy cigarettes. But I was always sort of fascinated by just the conversations that he had. There was sort of a a point where I said, this is part of my Sicilian culture. And why not write about it? Why not go deeper? There's so much there. So much color. Yeah, I've just found it fascinating. Even the balance of religion and superstition. Mm -hmm. it's, It's just really interesting. Like in Sicily... It's sort of balanced the other way towards Roman Catholicism, right. where superstition is sort of in the background. Malocchio. But if you go to, right, exactly, Malocchio, right? That's <laughs> one of the things. But if you go to a state like uh, Louisiana, New Orleans, which mm-hmm. has a huge Sicilian population, it's really interesting to see the way that it's tilted around the other way, right? Like, right. The superstition plays a more prevalent part over the Christianity. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the times, those are the two elements, especially when it comes to writing my culture, that I'll always have in the background all the time. The other thing, Valentino, about your writing, too, I've noticed, and I wonder if this is part of your Italian heritage as well, that there's a certain kind of quiet romanticism that moves through a lot of your poetry, I've noticed. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that true? <laughs> Well, sorry, can you define quiet romanticism? (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, this, this sort of quiet but lyrical declarations of love that you have for your family, your parents, nature, what have you. You do it in a very yeah. kind of subtle but passionate way, whereas other poets will often rant and rave. You tend to have a more lovely, softer, soft, approach. softer approach. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I, I guess I, if I had to attribute it to two things, it would sort of be my delayed love of Shakespeare. I, it really never took in high school. Yeah. Um, but eventually, I really, really dug Shakespeare to the point where I can quote a soliloquy or two, which is kind of cool. <laughs> but I guess the other thing, too, was um, my grandfather in his basement would always blare opera music mm. all the time. And I don't know how often you guys read librettos, but if you ever read a libretto from, say, a Puccini opera or, yeah. or, yeah. A, or a Mascagni opera, just read the lyrics. They are unbelievably poetic. I'm launching a new book of poetry later this month, and one of the epigraphs that I picked was from La Boheme. Mm-hmm. And it was from the aria Che Geli da Manina, where he's professing that he's a poet. And he's professing how that love of poetry is what he wants to infuse in her. And the romance part, I hope it never goes away. I I don't want it to ever go away. I'm really proud of that aspect. Well, that's a big part of that culture, though, because I was born in Calabria. My father was from Calabria, which is just across the Strait of Messina there. And my father was a huge opera lover. right to the day of his passing. And there's a strong cultural part of Southern Italy. I mean, all of Italy, but Southern Italy in particular, because there's a certain drama and sadness to a lot of operas that they can identify with. For sure. For sure. I try to see one opera a year. I I wish I could afford a membership at the COC, but I can't. So I have to be very careful about what I pick. But I I always think of my grandfather Mm -hmm. all the time, all the time. And I guess that's a large part of where that romanticism comes from. Okay, now we can't have a poet on the the podcast without you sharing a little bit of uh, poetic brilliance. Do you have something that you could share with us today? Um, I'm going to share a poem, a new poem uh, called Avatar. Okay. And it's basically pairing together my love of retro video games with with, uh, (laughs) how I feel society needs to be. A bit more generous. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Here we go. It's called Avatar. Before asking me for 50 cents, he told me, I want to make you an avatar in my video game. He said, your name is going to be Sonic Boom. (laughs) He put his hand on my belly. Don't be afraid of this, man. I know you think it's your weakness. People probably make fun of you for it, but it's your strength. This is your core, man. This is where it all comes from. A pause. Can you give me 50 cents for the streetcar, man? I give him a dollar. A streetcar stops. He doesn't get on it. Says, thanks, man, and walks away. My price for playing, credit one. Maybe you bought him a ride home. Maybe you bought him some food. A stranger says to me, he's probably going to buy weed with that. Maybe you bought him a high. How many points for that in your universe? This is Sonic Boom speaking. This is my power. Reverberating sound waves of joy and pain in a Rob Bay soundtrack of sunshine and rain. This is the world that sometimes I want to close my eyes and be in with you at the controls. A joystick jungle bounces and trounces and then one up waiting at the bottom left portion of the screen. This is how I want to level up in a 16-bit setting with indistinct synthesizer scores with instant insidious interactions that end in coins or collectibles. This is the comic book cosmopolitan nerve center where I get the nerve. 
this is the skip slip bit trip to get myself big dug out of the pit because sometimes my reality is that I don't have enough hit points or a lot of my points don't hit. Sometimes you get to the end battered and bruised only to find your princess in another castle. Sometimes it feels like an empty board with all the pellets gone and the ghosts closing in. But even with the energy bar low and in the red, there's a can of spinach for you to squeeze and a magic mushroom for you to chase. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select start. You're alone, but you're not alone. You choose your finishing move. Here's a blanket to keep you warm. Here's a coffee or a word or two. Take my arm. I'll help you get there. The stranger that tells you you're doing a good job when they don't even know what you do. And this random smile isn't to make you scared or question. If you look closely, they're revealing a piece of their soul. Maybe I bought them a high. Credit one. Maybe I bought myself one. The differentiation between scoring a high and a high score. Wow. Whoa. Beauty. That beauty. And, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and just to pull it back a little bit in the other direction, why do you think radio, along with podcasts, remain popular in this age of virtually visual everything? Such a good question. I have no idea. I don't know. Maybe because people have to concentrate a bit more with radio. You know what I mean? Like yep. when something's on TV, it's pretty easy to ignore. I know that my mom and I, I go to dinner at my mom's house every Wednesday and she has the TV on, Wheel of Fortune or Jeopardy's on, but you know, we're, we're kind of glancing at it, but we're not always paying attention unless it's like, right. unless it's like this mad huge episode of Game of Thrones or something like that. But even the news, like even just the general mainstream media kind of, they really have to work to get our attention. Whereas these intricate programs like yourselves, or I know that there's one in the States called Lexicon Valley that just examines the origin of words and phrases and where they came from. Mm -hmm. Or there's this other podcast out West called Heavy, which examines the writing or pop culture involvement of, of heavier set people. It kind of has you um, focusing a bit more. Yep. Right. I mean, not to plug my own show, but Howl uh, is all about focusing on art and the artist, more specifically writing and writers. Yep. If you wrote it, then that's what we want. We want to know what your creation and what brought about things and why you create and what you do, what you do. So I think that there's sort of a, a focus. There's an intricate focus with uh, mediums like podcasts and radio. I would actually venture to say that podcasting is overtaking exponentially. I would agree. There's a level of communication and intimacy that very few other realms offer. Most definitely. Box, box. So what's your story? And now we come to the thrilling final episode of our radio drama. Old Pete Belden, driver of the Jitney from Carsonburg to Copper Springs, has a double load today. Pete's ancient bus is carrying the Flying Bee payroll and the passenger, his niece Betty. Little do Pete and Betty suspect as they chug over the desert wastelands that just around the next curve, shifty Sam Hicks and his henchmen lie in wait. same without you, Betty, but now that you're back, you'll find nothing's changed and nothing's happened. Nothing's happened? Why, I heard you had two new horses. I can't wait to give them a run. You be careful where you ride these days. Got a band of rustlers operating in the neighborhood. Oh, Pooh. 
You don't seem very scared carrying the payroll in every month. But you better stick close to home. All right, Uncle, don't worry. Now, how have the new... And so we leave old Pete safe and sound with Betty in her new car. And to our friends of the radio audience, we bid a pleasant good night. Box, box. Just very briefly before we sign off, just a couple more questions. Talk about what it's like to host Howell and to interview people like Margaret Atwood and Nino Ricci, people, some of the brightest lights on the national scene. Okay, well, first and foremost, I have no idea how I got Margaret Atwood and Nino Ricci to come on. <laughs> I, I actually got Nino Ricci to come in as a guy that Italian-Canadian grew up reading Lives of the Saints in high school. Mm-hmm. It was kind of wicked to have Nino in studio. And Margaret, Margaret was intimidating, but I still really appreciated the interview. If I ever share the interview with either of you guys, you would notice right off the bat how nervous I am. Right. And, and then I got her to laugh, and I, I relaxed, and she relaxed, and the interview got better. You know how it was such an unbelievable opportunity? It was a show that I would say I inherited. My good friend Nick Beat, who was on the Toronto poetry scene for 25 years, is the man that founded the show. And um, when he passed away, a large contingent of the Toronto poetry community urged me to apply for his hosting part of the show. And Mm -hmm. I did that. And and when I got it, I was very, very nervous. I'm like, what have I signed up for? Going to Hard House at 10 o'clock every other Tuesday? Am I insane? Mm -hmm. But um, (laughs) it's been so rewarding. Because it's a writing show, I just said to myself, why not branch out to all elements of writing? Mm-hmm. And that's what Howl is. It's all encompassing. So it's been great. You know, I've interviewed novelists and I've interviewed uh, uh, documentarians, anybody that's got a story to tell, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, poets, of course, but poets and spoken word artists for sure. But it allows me to step out even more. We had uh, filmmakers, we've had singer songwriters because we are required to play a few songs during the hour. So it's like, well, if we're going to play songs, why not have songwriters on? Connected, and it's yeah. great. Yeah, in-studio performances. and It's just been really, really, really wonderful. And uh, it's work. It's busy. I mean, I'm at my day job right now. So pile that onto a 40-hour-a-week job. Uh, sure. At least life isn't boring. But it's a busy gig. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm grateful for it. I'm very, very grateful for it. Well, you speak about walking to Hart House and so on. And you walk fairly long distances every day often uploading your route to, to social media. What does that do for you? Walking. Walking, I really got into it maybe three years ago just because I didn't want to go to the gym anymore. And people are saying, why don't you just do something that you enjoy? And I really do enjoy walking. So I just challenged myself. I just said, well, I walk this far. Why don't I walk this far? Cool. To me, it's just meditative. I guess it's physically beneficial for me, but it's also, uh, I don't want to get too religious on anybody here uh, but for me it is a very spiritual thing it yep. is one of my favorite routines in the morning is i live at two minutes away from the boardwalk in toronto in the beaches mm-hmm. and i just think it shouldn't be taken for granted so i wake up in the morning i try to walk six kilometers and then i watch the sun come up uh say a prayer and get on with my day for me it's just it's essential and i mean there are days when i don't walk but i just feel that it's very much a part of me and in terms of writing ideas they evoke themselves all the time during one of those do you record uh, anything as you're walking ever 
sometimes I recorded. There was one night where I kind of recorded myself on Facebook Live. It was the first time ever that I walked from work to home. It was a 10-kilometer walk. So I walked from Bay and Queens to Queen and Beach in Toronto. It took me almost two hours. Wow. I was giving Facebook Live video updates. I don't really normally make a practice of it, but maybe, maybe in future that would be something to do. So just going to wrap this up, Val. The, you've got a new book coming out, you said. Now it's called Making Peace with Rattlesnakes. Is that right? No, that's the latest book. That was the last one like oh. 10 years ago from Lyrical Miracle Press. So what's the new I'm one releasing called? The new one is my first full-length book of poetry, and it's called Through Painted Eyes uh-huh. from Pecan Press. The launch for that is going to be on November the 25th. Venue has not been set up, but I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook. And as soon as I know, I will be updating. So for anybody that's on Twitter, I'm at Val Asenza. So V-A-L-A-S-S-E-N-Z-A. And for Facebook, it's my name, Valentino Asenza. Brilliant. Listen, thank you, Val. We really appreciate coming on the program and sharing your beautiful words and your great spirit. So all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. It's a huge thank you. And thank you for being so tolerant of me navigating the obstacle course of my corporate day job to do this. Thank you so much. Well, thanks to you, too. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.